I would say the greatest feeling is like, is like when you see your reviews on Amazon, it's like Christmas every morning. Sometimes you open it up, you just see you had 20 reviews and a couple of days later, you check it back again. You have like three more and you're like, wow. And you see they're all five stars and just reading them saying, well, I love your writing. I want the sequel or they say the character is really cool. This is a page turn. It just makes you feel good that you wrote a good quality product. Welcome to the Daily Authors Podcast, a daily podcast all about books and the authors who gave them life. Each episode, your host interviews a new brilliant author as they reveal inside information about their incredible books and inspiring lives. Now, here's your host, Aaron Gendel. Hey, Aaron Gendel here. I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to the Daily Authors Podcast. It means so, so much to me. And maybe you've been thinking about writing a book of your own. And if so, do not wait. The world is hurting and needs your help. It needs your book. I would love to help you on your journey to write your book. So simply email me at Aaron at dailyauthors.com and I'd love to hear about your book idea. Now enjoy the show. All right. Thank you so much, Eric Fogey, for joining me on the Daily Authors Podcast. So excited to talk to you today about your book, One Way Roads, and we know your names. Thanks again, Eric, for joining me on the show. Thank you very much for having me on the show, Aaron. All right. Well, before we jump into your book, Eric, if you wouldn't mind just telling the listeners a little bit more about yourself and your work and what you've got going on right now. A little bit about myself. What made me interested in becoming an author is my parents sent me to Washington, D.C. I was 13, 14 years old to learn about history for a week without them. So I visited the Capitol, the Pentagon, a couple other amazing places. And that's what intrigued me eventually become working for the government. However, um, things didn't turn as planned, so now I write about it. So that's why I find it very interesting about the book, because you get to visit places that you don't see yeah. or hear about very much in the you know real life. People always, always speculate about these places, and now I make them very visible to see it and read about it. And what's going on with me, I'm getting my second book ready for publication, which is We Know Your Name. And I'm writing my third book, which is the sequel in the Project Pegasus series. Awesome, man. Good stuff. Uh, well, thanks again for sharing your book on the show. I just wanted to see if you could give us that high-level overview of, I guess, the book and go in a little deeper and let us know what inspired you to write this particular one and, and what it's about. Well, One Way Roads is about a senior intelligence analyst, and he was originally a paramilitary operations officer, but in layman's terms, he was a spy. He did stuff overseas and for the government to get rid of bad guys or bad installations. And one day he's approached by a group of people saying, we would like you to go back in time. Of course, he doesn't think it can be done. And they said, yes, it can. But we want to end World War II a different way. We want to have a stronger foothold in Europe. Because if anyone's remembered during the Cold War, is the Eastern Bloc countries and NATO. So they figured if you could save a general or Field Marshal Rommel, the Germans will surrender and they would have a bigger stronghold in Eastern Europe during the Cold War. But what they don't realize, or he doesn't realize, is he's basically a decoy. They have their, their own initiative to end the war too sooner. And that's killing a high-ranking individual in the Nazi party, which the main character finds out later. And that main character, if you kill them, causes a nuclear war because the Germans get an atomic bomb first. And he's in a huge moral dilemma because he doesn't want the nuclear war happen. However, the person he has to save 
is Adolf Hitler. So everyone talks about, you know, going back and killing Hitler. So that's what the book's, you know, a good premise is about because everyone says, yeah, so we like to go back and kill him. But would you kill him to let a nuclear war happen or will you save him to prevent a nuclear war? So mm. I think the readers will find that very compelling. It's like, oh, my gosh. Yes, he said, no, we can't start. So they're, like I said, a moral dilemma. Yeah, interesting. What would you do? I'm curious. You have a lot of interest in, in this time period or like history? My degree was in Russian history and Russian politics. Ah. I went to the University of Central Florida. And the nice thing about majoring stuff like this, you have really small classes. But like I said, my first goal was to work for the government, for the Central Intelligence Agency. And I was actually approached by them when I was a senior in college. But like I said, things turned a little south because I married the wrong woman. But that's neither here or there because now I can write about it. Because if I got in, I couldn't write stories like this, I was told. But what interested me about World War II especially is because there's so many amazing events that could turn either way to the Allies' advantage or the Germans' advantage. And I did actually have family that fought in World War II. They were part of the German army. And my other side of the family was in the 6th Division Marine Corps. So it was pretty interesting having family on both sides of the war. So it made it quite interesting. Yeah, awesome, man. Is there a a section or chapter or like maybe sub-story of the book that really stands out that you wouldn't mind sharing with the listeners today? I think the, I would say mostly the conversations that the main character, which is Dr. Fuger and Rom will have. They're chatting just regular guys like, you know, what are you going to do after the war? What do you think your purpose is? It shows the human side of a, you know, war hero or would you say someone in war. Because when you see documentaries on Rommel, you just see him as this straight-laced guy, you know, conquer, conquer, conquer. But you never see, you know, him as a the human side. So, you know, I think I have one little quote. I put him, he says, a soldier's job is, you know, to think what's going to happen after war and do what's right, wherever his government puts him in. Yeah. So I think the readers will be very intrigued about that. And as I said before, you know, there's a place I mentioned in the book called Dumbs. It's deep underground military bunkers. You know, if you go to YouTube, you probably can find it or stuff on the internet. So I, like I said, I paint the picture of what these places look like. And I think the readers will find out very fast things like, wow, I feel like I'm there. And that's the whole point. Very cool, man. Yeah, when you started talking there, it reminded me, I, I recently saw that uh, 1917 film. Were you able to catch it? No, not yet. I'm planning on going see it, though. I heard it was really good, though. Yeah, the filming of it, and it just reminded me of when you were talking about getting to know the individuals. I think that film did a, a pretty good job with, with that, at least in the beginning. So won't give too much away for you, but uh, anyway, I, I enjoyed that part and the filming and just being able to see the scenery. And they had a deep bunker, like you just mentioned, so it kind of brought me uh, mm-hmm. into that world. All right, well, I guess if you could sum it up for the listeners and, and the readers who would pick up your book and read it. I, I, maybe you could just sum it up. If there was one thing you'd want them to take away from it, what would it be? Doing the right thing in history is not always the right thing to do. And what I mean by that, like I said, if you kill Hitler, it can cause, you know, unnormal things that could go wrong that you never foresee. Yeah. So even though you might think it's the right thing in your mind to do, it's not always the right thing to do. And I like the tagline that I have them from my book. Governments might can change the past, but at what cost? Yeah. So think before what you do. Very insightful. Awesome, Eric. Well, thank you for sharing your book. 
I also wanted to ask you more about you and, and always very curious to know more about the authors on my show and who or what's really in, influenced them, inspired them to be who they are. And, uh, you know, you briefly touched on, on some of your experiences, but I wonder if, if you might share any others that have really influenced you to be who you are today, who or what has influenced you, Eric? I would say one person when I was younger, because, you know, I really didn't grow up with superheroes, would be Rommel. And people sometimes look at me funny when I say that. And, but what's neat about him, he had a very strong character. You know, he studied strong in school, you know, hardly drank, didn't smoke, and very dedicated to his wife. And I thought that was very neat to hear from that, from that German general. And also, I would say some people in the intelligence community that, you know, I met throughout my college career and everything. And, you know, when you speak to them, they, you know, if you say the wrong thing, for example, say, oh, are you doing this for money? They're going to look at you funny. It's like, no, it's not about money. It's about doing the right thing for the country. And they don't care if you're, you know, Republican or Democrat. You know, this is for the whole country's soul. And I thought that was being so, you know, amazing that, you know, they weren't selfish saying, well, I'm doing it just for these group of people or these group of people. It's for the whole. So that I find that very impressive which a lot of people don't realize, you know, people might rag on, you know, Navy SEALs or the CIA saying, oh, they do bad things. It's like, guys, they give you a freedom that you're taking for granted. The reason you don't hear about these bad things is because they're protecting our country, you know, and so I want to say thank you for all the servicemen and women out there who, you know, serve our country and even the people in the intelligence community that do stuff that we don't know about that make our freedoms who what we have today in America, which is amazing. Mm, well said, Eric. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think probably is something we take for granted. The just being in America here, the freedom we have and definitely been a sacrifice of a lot of people for that. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about books a little bit more and wondered if you might share any of your favorites, uh, any that have influenced you or that uh, maybe you're reading now that are inspired by. I always liked Jack Finney. He had a series called From Time to Time and Time, Time Again, I believe it was called. And what I liked about those books, he really did his homework, like how I did when I did my books. Well, I did a research, you know, find out what the smells of people were like, everything. But he did 1880 New York. And it was just fascinating how he just made you immersed in that century by looking in the smells and everything. And one thing I remember who said precisely, he says, like, he's in 1880 New York, and I think it was a dry summer day. And he says, you got to be careful when you're walking because sometimes there's horse manure and the horse hits it, and, you know, you better not breathe it in. And I just think that's, you know, just really neat how it encompasses not only the visual, but the smells, the taste, everything that makes you feel like, wow, I feel like I'm there. I thought he did a fascinating job. I also like H.G. Wells. One of my first books I ever read was World of Worlds. And I just found it fascinating with his descriptions as well. You know, he just, just like I said, plants you like a seed and you're just visualizing everything. Awesome, man. Thanks for sharing those. Yeah, I can tell the books that you mentioned very have influenced you to write in the way you do for, for the books, uh, for the book you just described at least. Yes. All right. Well, what about a favorite quote? Anything? That inspires you often, Eric? Well, I don't know if I heard it from somewhere or if I just made it up. I say nothing's impossible and everything's possible. Nothing's impossible and everything's possible. You just got to know how to do it. Yeah, I love that quote, man. That's awesome. Yep. 
I couldn't agree with you more. All right. Well, a little bit more about the book writing process. I'm just curious to know if there's anything that you maybe didn't know before you started writing books that you know now that maybe you wish you'd have known and any tips, tricks, things that you've picked up along the way that have really helped you out? Well, you got to be real. I would say you just make sure your book's really polished and don't get discouraged. I mean, I always tell people because I have some beginning authors come to me and they say, you know, I've got rejected three times. I feel like giving up. I said, well, I got rejected 40 times. So that's one thing. I mean, you don't learn when you become writing a book. You don't think about that until you actually try to get it published. Yeah. I mean, J.K. Rowling and Stephen King were the same way. And the neatest quote I learned from Stephen King, he says, he got so many rejections letters, he had to find a bigger nail to put in the, um, the wall <laughs> because he got so many. Wow. And I thought that was pretty humorous. And here's a funny story about me. It's like when I was writing One Way Roads, I got to 48,000 words. I thought I was amazing. <laughs> and so I went to Google, who was my friend. I said, Google, what is the average length of a novel? And it said between 80 to 120,000 words. I went, damn. <laughs> so the object is don't write too little or too much. And I would say, you know, if you're doing like historical fiction, make sure you get your facts straight. Make them believable. Because I remember reading an article. They were talking about hypothetically a, say, a sheriff in 1870 West and you know, he's wearing a Stetson hat and they said, well, the Stetson hat didn't come out until, I don't know, I forgot what year, but they say hypothetically 1880. And they said that you lose all credibility there. So as a historical fiction writer, you know, you got to make sure your facts are straight or at least very, very believable for your audience to say, yes, we like that. And I think I had a lot of my fans tell me that they said they learned a lot of stuff about my book. They didn't know about World War II. And they felt it was very believable that the government would send someone back in time. So I would say those are all key components to do when you, if you want to become a good historical fiction writer. Yeah, amazing, man. We've obviously been through it. I wondered if you might share a little bit more about, uh, you mentioned like understanding the smells and how did you do that sort of research when you were writing a book? Well, I did, you know, for the smells, it's pretty easy. I mean, if you I would say, you know, if you're talking about a desert scene, if you have a chance to go to like Arizona where I live, I mean, that would be phenomenal. Got it, got it, okay. Because, I mean, I always tell people, you know, like some of the characters in one-way roads, like Admiral Bonesteiner, Admiral Cole, Brigadier General Plackett. I remember I had one person ask me, how did you get your personalities? I said, well, I know this, I knew those people personally. I might have changed their ranks, but I knew them personally. And that's how you got to feel them, their presence. And like you were saying, you know, how do you get the smells and all that? But when you feel the presence of these people who only answer to the president of the United States, they just sometimes have the most intimidating feel about them. I always said if it was between them and Medusa, they would win. <laughs> and like I said, you know, with the smells, I mean, I mean, if you're able to smell, just try different things, you know, go to a, you know, a rose or you know, go to a desert, go to uh, someplace very cold or research about it if you're not able to do that. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the best way if you, and find a very credible source, for example, if you don't know what freezing cold is, you know, you would say possibly read about, you know, you know, war two, like in Stalingrad and to see if some soldiers could describe cold. And I remember asking a Navy SEAL one time, I said, well, did you do Arctic warfare? And he said, yeah. I said, well, can you describe it to me? He said, well, I can't get into details. I said, no, what does like zero degrees feel like this and that? And so he was very funny. He says, 
well, zero degrees is cold, negative 10 is colder, negative 20 is even colder. And after negative 30, it's just fucking cold. So it's just funny that he could actually feel the differences of the temperature. Yeah. So, I mean, it's always neat to put the little humor in there as well in the stories too, especially if you're going to write about, you know, military or whatever. Things like that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for those tips, man. Sounds fun. Sounds like you kind of get to immerse yourself into the the whole story that way. And Mm -hmm. like you said, make it come to life. Uh, Well, maybe you could just let us in on what you feel now has been the very best part of being an author. Just curious to know what's been the best part about writing a book for you, Eric. I would say the greatest feeling is like, is like when you see your reviews on Amazon, it's like Christmas every morning. Sometimes you open it up, you just see you had 20 reviews and a couple of days later, you check it back again. You have like three more and you're like, wow. And you see they're all five stars and just reading them saying, wow, I love your writing. I want the sequel or they say the character is really cool. This is a page turn. It just makes you feel good that you wrote a good quality product. Yeah. And I, w- I remember one time I was in a restaurant. I always have my back in the corner. And this guy was eyeing me and looking at his smartphone. I'm like, what's this guy's problem? <laughs> He's making it un- uncomfortable. I mean, I wasn't going to get rude to him, but I mean, I just felt a little weird. He was looking up and down, up and down. And his girlfriend went to the bathroom. And then the middle of the restaurant was full. He says, is that your book? And I went, uh, yeah, because I always carry it with me and tell people about it and all everything. He said, well, you don't look like you're in a picture. And he holds up the phone in front of everyone. Everyone's looking at his phone. And I said, well, yeah, I grew a beard and a mustache. It's been a while. <laughs> and I mean, it was a great feeling. You know, it was like a celebrity moment. Yeah. But, you know, I never, I never had that experience before. And, you know, and then, you know, he said, oh, can you sell my book? And, you know, you feel, I feel really honored. I mean, it's great. Because I remember, you know, hearing celebrities saying they push people away. and say, oh, no, I'm too busy for you. Go away. To me, if I'm eating dinner, if you ask me nicely, I'll sign your book. I have no problem with that. But, you know, if you come out with me out of the blue and say, hey, can you sign this? I want to say, yeah, not a problem. Go ahead. I always tell people that. Yeah. Because it makes me feel good because you're taking, like I said, how I think I mentioned before, it's like, you know, you took your time to reach out to me to do an interview. These people actually took their time, you know, I hate to say it, to find me or whatever and say, hey, can you sign my book? Yeah, I want to sign it. I'm not going to push you away. It's a real emotional high, I would say. You know, when people recognize your work or when they say, can you sign my book? It just feels really good inside. Awesome, man. Yeah, amazing, amazing experience. I'm sure. Thank you for sharing all of what you shared today, man, in your book. And it sounds amazing. Sounds very captivating. So encourage the listeners to go out and get it. Yeah. I know it's, you said yeah, it was on. coming out. Uh, could you maybe touch on that when it's going to be released? Yeah. Uh, what, we Know Your Name is a prequel to One Way Roads. You learn about his training. You lo- learn a little more about his relationship with him and his girlfriend and some ops that he does and how he learns about uh, Project Pegasus. And that should be coming out probably March or, or April, my publisher told me. And it's only on Amazon as a Kindle or paperback, which is One Way Roads as well. If the fans have any questions, they can reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram. They can follow me. I mean, I have no problem with people asking me, like, where did you come up with this character? Or can you explain this a little more? To me, that's a big high, too, when someone asks me a question about the characters. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And I'll do admit I'm a little biased because the main character is named Eric. So. <laughs> that's pretty fun. It's fun that you can uh, create a book and, yeah, you can create who's in it and who's not. <laughs> All that's yeah. Fun. All right. Well, man, it's been a pleasure speaking to you, and congrats on the book. Again, it, keep going. It sounds like you're just on a roll, so it sounds like readers are getting a lot out of it, and 
We really appreciate you being on the show, Eric. Well, thank you for inviting me once again, Aaron. Thanks for listening to the Daily Authors Podcast. Be sure to visit dailyauthors.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic bonus content.